time. All right. So fun to be here. So great to have everyone here um, indoors again and um, spread out. You're all looking good. Your eyes all look really, really great. Um, we are in a series here at Shig called Stuff Christians Say. We are almost done with it. Next week will be the last week. Uh, Joanna will be speaking, and um, we have talked through, basically the point of the series is Christians use words sometimes that, you know, you don't really necessarily know what they mean, and everyone else seems to know. So we thought, wouldn't it be fun if we focused on um, those words and tried to, um, you know, make them make them clear? So we started with atonement or propitiation, um, and we went on to the Word of God, and we talked about fellowship, we talked about adoption. Last week, Connor talked about wisdom, and this week, we are talking about sanctification. Say it with me. Sanctification. One more time. Sanctification. So the word sanctification, um, if you don't know what it means, Sanctification is the process that happens, and it generally happens for a, a, a follower of Jesus who wants to be more holy. So the word holiness is very involved in the word sanctification. So we're going to be spending, actually most of our time, we're going to be talking about what, it, what holiness is all about, what the purpose of holiness is. And, uh, and but just understand that that holiness is is the goal of the process known as sanctification. So to sanctify something means to make something holy. So the sanctification process is the process that a follower of Jesus is on his or her entire life to uh, to be made holy. Now, I want to start by asking uh, if anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but just have you ever had this experience um, in your life? Either you have heard someone say this to you or you've heard someone say this to someone else where they say, um, well, I can't believe you just did that. That wasn't a very Christian thing to do. And usually their eyes look like this. Christian thing to do. Um, I remember a student telling me this story that that her mom said this to her. It was a student years ago who was a newer believer. She was new in the faith, and her mom wasn't particularly happy about the fact that she was hanging out at a church, which, again, doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I, there's good things happen, generally speaking, when people go to church, um, but that's not what this mom thought, and so she kind of would, would you know say these things, and one of the things that she would say is, so, so this girl's name was Whitney, and she would say, well, you know, Whitney would do something, and <clears throat> she would get frustrated, or she would, you know, be rude or whatever, and she would say, well, Whitney, that wasn't a very Christian thing to do, now was it? Which is a, just a terrible, nasty, smug thing to say to someone. But what's the assumption behind that question? The assumption is, well, Whitney, I thought you were becoming a Christian. I thought you were a Christian, and Christians are supposed to be holy, and so you didn't do a very good job at that, did you? And uh, it's a wrong assumption for anyone, either inside or outside the church, to think that 
any follower of Jesus will ever be perfectly holy. This is a process that is never done. And, uh, you know, we are, we are, uh, those of us who are following Jesus will always be better than we were, uh, before, but we will never be where we should or could be this side of the grave. So, uh, and I just sort of want to, you know, start with that and say, uh, I don't want anyone to think that that's what this group is supposed to be. But there's an, uh, that assumption is, understandable given what the Bible says, especially when you when you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament says, be holy because I'm holy. God is saying to his people, be holy because I am holy. So there is a sense in which we are to emulate the holiness of God in our behavior. And in fact, God put his top 10 of, of, uh, of his, his commandments on stone and handed them to the Israelites and said, these, I want you to follow these, but these are the 10 things that the commandments, they're not suggestions, they're commandments that I'm giving you. And so uh, it, is, it is appropriate for a follower uh, of God to, to understand that this is supposed to be something that, that we should be trying to do, trying to be more holy. But it's so important to ask the question, why? Why? Why is this important? Why is this something uh, that God is calling us to, this process of sanctification? Before I get to um, why, I want to talk about what it is, and I want to talk about why it is as well. So, um, so sanctification—the word, the word "holy" or sanctification—it just means. I said this. If you guys were at the last, there's a few things I'll be repeating that I, that I said at the at the talk that my last talk at the at the farm, but. Sanctification or being made holy. The word holy is just another way of saying set apart. So it's not that necessarily it is, uh, that, that something is, is perfectly pure that is holy, but rather it is, it is set apart. That's, that's literally what the term means. It's different than kind of the regular stuff. So like, for instance, you might have plates that you use at home that are your regular plates and then uh, on special occasions, you have this, you know, fine china that you get out and you use because it's a special occasion. And so that you could you could say that 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 those nice plates are are holy because they're set apart for different use. And there's something about our lives that should emulate that. That, that we need to be set apart, not that we are to be perfect by any means, but rather that we are to be set apart or different from the world. Um, I think about the song. What is, what do you suppose is that? It sounds like someone's like a, like a recording or. Is it, is it, oh, it stopped. It stopped. Yeah, it stopped. Great. Thank you. Whoever was doing that, thank you for making that stop. All right. It also could just be me. I am, I am a crazy old man. Um, but I think about the very, very catchy tune by Jay Beebs, uh, Holy, right? If you Google Holy, the first video that pops up is the Jay Beebs song, Holy, right? So, and if you look at the song, I thought, I wondered if perhaps it was about God because, 
Justin Bieber's a Christian. It's not. It's about, it appears to be about his wife. Um, and what he says is that when you hold me, it feels so holy, 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 holy. holy. He says holy a lot. Um, even though he says, oh, God, running to the altar like a track star, that could be about God. I don't know. It's, then he talks about his, his, his lady, his woman. But he's talking about this. And I, I think it's interesting because, because I know just a, just the teensiest bit about Justin Bieber, that he is a Christian. And so in his marriage to his wife, it's why we call it holy matrimony. I don't know if you ever have heard that phrase. It's, an, it's sort of an older phrase. But holy matrimony is, is a beautiful phrase. And it really means for a follower of Jesus, this is a holy act before God. It's different. There's something entirely different and set apart about marriage that is not just someone that you're dating casually or, or a girlfriend. It is It is. Marriage is to be considered, it's considered holy. And I think that's what Justin is getting at in that song. Other things, I'm not sure what, what's going on, especially when Chance starts talking about things like Joe Pesci and Lionel Messi. But the chorus, I, I'm tracking with JBs in the chorus. And, and I think it's illustrative for us today. So um, one other thing I want to point out about holiness, and then we're going to get to some points and we're going to fly through them and it's going to be a lot of fun. I want to make you guys understand, I want you to understand that holiness is not primarily for its own good. We are not called called to be holy so that we can brag about or feel good about how holy we are. The people in Jesus' day did that. They were called the Pharisees. Jesus had terrible, terrible things to say to them. And we're going to talk, I'm going to reference one of them a little bit later. And what I liken it to is there are people who get in shape only so that they can look good. That is the only reason why they get in shape. They get in shape because they can't wait for bathing suit season to roll around. And that is the only, they, they, and, and it's like the guys who like any moment, all of a sudden his t-shirt is off and you're like, what, what is going? We're like in the grocery store and you're taking your t-shirt off. We get it. You have nice abs. We get it. But like, they're like, this is why I work out, baby, so I can, you know, sun's out, gun's out. This is it. And, you know, I can say this because that's, you know, I have abs somewhere down there, but you, you, you'll never be able to see them. Um, there is a purpose for working out and being in shape. There is a great purpose for that. And, and there, are, there are like a hundred of great purposes. There, if you're a professional athlete, you need to be in good shape so you can help your team. Um, if you're, you know, if you're have a job that requires you to lift heavy things, you need to be in shape. It's to be in shape is to to have a healthy body, which is honoring to God. It, it helps you to live longer. It's it's there's 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 tons of great reasons to be in shape. Even people who are bodybuilders, because I was thinking, like, is someone to get like if you're a bodybuilder, you get in shape and you're like, you know, to look good. But you make money, bodybuilders. That's that's a living for people. So even people who like who like work out to be bodybuilders, they're doing that to to earn a living. But if the only reason that people are are working out is just so that they can look good for to attract attention to themselves, it's the same thing as being holy so that you can attract attention to yourself, so that you can be better than other, and, and look down on other people, which is what the Pharisees did, which is what Jesus is, the, the, the terrible words he had to say. 
He was saying, yeah, if, if, if you're just doing this for you, for show, that's not the point. The point is not for you to be better than someone else in holiness. It has to have a purpose. Our holiness has to have a purpose. And I'm going to tell you what I think the purpose of holy living is right now. And I've got three reasons why you should be holy. And then we're going to have three ways to think about what that process of being made holy should, should look like. All right. So the first reason why you should be holy. You should be holy because living a holy life. Uh, sorry, that's, well, there's, there's a mishap. What's, what, what happened to point, um, what, let's see what point two is. We'll just give it away. Because there should be a point one that's not that. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll just do point number two, which should be point number one. I don't know how that happened, but we're going to start. We're going to pretend that little two is a one. You should be holy because living a holy life helps others find God. That's point number one. Just pretend that says one. Hebrews 12, 14. If you want to look it up, you can. If you want to write it down, you can look it up later. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, the Bible says, no one will see the Lord. If we as God's people aren't committed to living in a different manner, then people who aren't Christians won't be able to find him. Let me explain it to you why this is so important. So imagine me. Imagine that if you found out so some of you, you just met me. I've worked here for over 20 years. And imagine if all this time that I've been working here, I was stealing money out of the offering plate. That as it went by, now I was always like the first one to be like, yeah, yeah, I'll take that down to the office. Yeah, you bet. And then someone saw a surveillance camera and they saw that I like put a bunch of cash in my pocket. Imagine, and then I've been doing it for 20 years. Imagine what you, what, what all of you would think about me like, wow. What a terrible guy. Like, I thought he was so nice. He's been stealing from the church. What would, imagine, that's, that's those of you that know me. Imagine then, of course, it's going to get on the news. I go to jail and like, local youth pastor steals money from church. And it's like on the headlines and everybody is like, that guy, yeah, I never really liked that guy. That, was, that guy was, I really hated him. And I knew he was something fishy about him. People outside of the community If I'm not living out my faith, if I'm, and that's obviously an extreme example, but if there's some inconsistency in my life that I'm preaching something and I'm not living it out, not only will it make you guys think ill of me, but it might make some of you wonder, what is this faith about? And maybe it's not even real. And uh, people outside of the church who know me, who would, who were kind of like on the fence about faith would say, yeah, there's that guy. There's another hypocrite. There is another hypocrite who says one thing and does another. And, and the, the conclusion for many of them is the God he follows isn't worth it because something about his life hasn't been changed. They think that about me. They will think the same things about you. I know it's distracting. If everyone could just put your cell phones away, usually you don't have to worry about this, but just, just put them away. I can see somebody like looking over and like I hear something. Play. Just put them away. We're going to be done in like 10 minutes, okay? Um, the same thing could be true of you. If they know, especially those of you that are, that are leaders, in the, like in our group, and they find out that you are saying one thing, and I, I've had so many stories about this where like, 
people who are, are, are leaders in our, you, you know, leaders in our, our ministry, student leaders, and they find out that, you know, when they're not here on Sundays, they're, they're not living out their faith. And it's crushing. It's crushing to, to, to some younger students to find out that, oh, so it wasn't really real. It was, it was fake. Without holiness, no one sees God. We have to, we have to take that seriously. That's point number one. Point number two, we can go back to, which is, you should be holy because living a holy life makes your life better. That's point number two. Living a holy life makes your life better. When you have a, 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 a live a holy life, just, just the, the things like, I'll go back to marriage. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a much better chance, not always, some, you know, even, even some followers of Jesus, their marriages end in divorce. But what I can tell you is, it's certainly in my life, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, no chance my marriage would have lasted. And I can tell you, my marriage is, is one of the things that I'm sort of the most grateful for. It's, a, it's probably the greatest gift that I have in my life, other than my children and my relationship with God. It's one of the greatest gifts. I'm only, I, I'm just telling you, be real honest, the only way I can stay, would, would be able to stay married to my wife as long as I am is because I have a faith and, and the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart and making me more like him and causing me to say no to my selfishness and saying yes to you know, forgiveness and all that sort of stuff. Uh, if, if, you're, if you live a holy life and if, like, let's just say you are someone who is trustworthy, a trustworthy person will go so much further in life. Like if people can trust you, you will get promoted at whatever job it is that you, you know, if people can trust you, that means absolutely everything. If you are a trustworthy person, a person of honor, you're going to have great friends. People are going to want to be your friend because you, you are, you're good to them. Like just the, 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 the side effect, the good side effect of following Jesus and, and, and becoming more holy, which again is all about surrendering ourselves. We'll get to how we do that later. It's just that your life is better. And then the other side of that is just also true. Point number three, which is you should live a holy life because it prevents you from pain. So, you know, the other side of this is, is when you are not holy, when you sort of, yeah, whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on my taxes here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of take shortcuts here. Those catch up with you. They just catch up with you time and time again. They catch up with you. And the pain, just the natural consequences of not living a holy life in your life becomes, uh, it, it comes back to you and it, and it leads to pain in your life. So those are, are just three simple things that, uh, that I think being holy is advantageous to, to, uh, to your witness and to your own life. So how does one go about it? How do we, how do we, you know, what, what does this process look like? Well, I, I don't have, uh, you know, the, there, there is no easy answer, but I just have a few observations and I hope that in your small groups you can, uh, sort of unpack them. Uh, the first one is this, to start with love. And the verse that I want to talk about briefly here is John 14, verse 15. Please feel free to turn there. John chapter 14 and verse 15. It's very short. And uh, later, if you want to sort of look at the context for all of this, please do. But John 14, 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and therefore he's, he's t- saying this to us. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
about 20 years ago, right when I first started working here, um, I was I was asked to give a, a talk on this passage, and I, I studied it and I looked at it and I I found something in it that I think is important. You can interpret this passage a, a couple of different ways. You can interpret it as, as saying, um, "If you love me, you 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 better freaking keep my commandments." All right, people. If you and almost like this sort of, you know, guilt laden, like, hey, listen, if you love me, I'm gonna, you better. That's one way to, to look at it. Another way, and I sort of read different commentaries and different ways of looking at it, and, and the way that I think makes more sense tonight as we look at it is that what Jesus is saying is a very basic if then statement. If you love Jesus, it will naturally follow that you will keep his commandments. Okay? It, there's not, there's, it, it, I don't think Jesus is saying there's this guilt thing. It's just a natural consequence of a life of love for God. It will naturally follow that you will keep his commandments. So, and we're going to get to this more in the second point, but if it, it just, if you focus on loving God, the more you focus on loving God, you will grow into the more, the more you say yes to the Holy Spirit, which is what happens when we, when we say yes to Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I want, I want you to, uh, I'm going to surrender my life to you. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and we become more and more like Him. And if we love Him more, what we will find is that over time, we will find ourselves keeping his commandments more and more. There's a lot of pressure if we start with the commandments. And that brings me to point number two. Point number two is we have to start with the inside, not the outside. Uh, as I said, Jesus had a lot of nasty things to say to the Pharisees. And this is one of them. If we turn to Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26. Please feel free if you've got on your phone or you want to look at your Bibles. Um, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Like, Jesus is just not like, guys, those of you that think that Jesus only had just sweet things to say and he, he just want, w- w- walked around, you know, and just sort of saying, who needs a hug? Like, that's not Jesus said that. I'm sure Jesus gave a lot of hugs. He did not give hugs to the Pharisees. He called them Hypocrites. He called them a brood of vipers. He, he, he didn't want to have any, he was just like so fed up with them. Here's what he says to these people he calls hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So sort of this image of a, a cup that has had the outside cleaned. And he, he talks later, he says a similar thing. He calls them whitewashed tombs that on the outside have been painted so pretty, but on the inside there's dying people inside. But if you take this picture of a cup that looks so clean on the, on the outside, <clears throat> and that's what the Pharisees focused on. They were like, what do I have to do? Obey this rule, obey that rule. Great, I got it. And I'm going to look great, and I'm going to you know look down on everybody uh, as a result, I don't know about you, I, 
I'm not drawn to that. Some people, just perfectionists, people like that are drawn to like rule keeping. I'm not a rule keeper. Um, I'm a little bit of a rebel at heart. And I've, I, I'm not interested in that. Which is why it's good news for me that I don't have to focus on, like if Jesus came to you and listed all of your sins, all of the ways that you fall short, and said, here, here it is. Like, mine would be a very large and thick book, and it would be really overwhelming. He doesn't do that to us. He says, I just want your heart. I want you to love me. I want you to, as Jesus says, clean out the inside of the cup. And, and when you clean out the inside of the cup, the whole cup is clean. So we focus on our hearts. If there is something that you have going on in your life or, or, or later, maybe, maybe you're just like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, things are fine. But at some point in your life, you're going to come up against a struggle, a sin, something that, that you're just like, man, I don't know how to get around this. If you will focus on the, your heart, if you will, don't worry about the behavior. If you just sort of surrender your heart more and more to God, say, God, I want to love you more. I want my heart to be yours. What you will find is that over time, you look more and more like God. Your life reflects that holiness. Just It just naturally does because if you love God, you will, over time, keep his commandments. So two is start with the inside, not the outside. And uh, number three is this. Don't believe sin's lies. All of our lives, we will be fighting sin. Um, famous quote, be killing sin or it will be killing you. You cannot be indifferent towards sin. You cannot have like, ah, I don't know about sin. I'm, I'm sort of indifferent to sin. No, sin wants you dead. Sin wants to defeat you. Sin wants you uh, just completely to not look like Jesus at all. He doesn't want your life to look set apart at all. He, it's sin. Sin wants to kill you. You have to be fighting sin. What does sin use, right? Sin lies to you. Never forget when I heard someone say this. I've, I've, I've just remembered it my whole life, and I've preached it as though I thought it myself, but I didn't think of it myself. It was a sermon I heard probably 25 years ago. We have to believe the promises of God more than the promises of sin because God promises and sin promises. God always delivers on his promises. God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God promises that he is preparing a place for us. God promises to, 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 that we, he has plans to prosper us. God promises that there's no good thing that he will withhold from us if our, our walk is blameless. Blameless. But most of God's promises are long-term promises. He says, if you endure, if you can wait, if you can go the distance, you will see a reward. What is sin's tactic? Sin's tactic is said, if you give in to me now, I'll make you happy. And so we do. We give in because we think, oh, this sounds good. This thing that sin promises, joy, because we're all looking for joy, right? We're all, we're all glory. We want glory. We want happiness. We want joy. And so whatever will promise us that, we will say yes to that. Sin does not deliver. It, it gives you, in the short run, a, a short 
thrill, right? We don't sin out of duty. We sin because it makes us, you know, happy in the moment. But ultimately, the deep promises don't deliver. And I think uh, I could illustrate this any number of ways. But I want to I finish by talking about uh, a Taylor Swift song. Um, and what's interesting about, about T-Swizzle is that she wrote a song a number of years ago called 15 that is just brilliant. And I've used it talking about... Um, talking about relationships in the past. And those of you that know the song, it's a story song about a, a girl who's 15. Someone tells you they love you, you're going to believe him. So, and, and she gives this guy her heart and she cries. And Taylor cries with her. And, and that was a promise of sin that this guy came along and, and she just thought, oh yeah, this, this guy's going to make me happy. And so she gave, gave her his, her, gave him her heart and she got it broken. Um, so that's sort of the struggle of a 15-year-old. What's really interesting about the song I'm going to play to you now, play for you now, is that you, you sort of imagine this girl grown up maybe 10 years later. And now it's not just a, a you know, like a, a high school boy that, that lets her down in some way. Now this person who has never decided that sin won't satisfy never decided that, that I've got to sort of fight sin, believes in the lies of sin, and so says yes to this extramarital affair that she's a part of. And so I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. It's called Illicit Affairs. And uh, just incredible, incredible writing. And again, it's a story song. If you don't know it, if you do know it, you know, you'll, you'll recognize it. It is, it is not a Taylor Swift bop. This is not something that you play in your car and like, oh, yeah, all right. You know, uh, this is not shake it off. This is like, I mean, when I heard it the first time, I was like, dang, T-Swizzle, you are doing something here. Please listen to this song, and then it's the last thing we'll do, and I'll send you a smarters. <laughs> 